available on the Nook. Honestly, I think I'm just bad at the internet. Were you cursed by a gypsy? <laughs> That's our new sign-off. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that must win, must always win. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. The truth is, we're savages. We really are savages. <laughs> this place is a mess, I was going to say, you. you should see the state of this place. <laughs> yeah. It's I un- don't even live here anymore. It's unconscionable. Yeah. I was, I was going to clean it up before you came, but then I decided, nah. Eh, <laughs> I don't care. I know you don't. I've explicitly told you I don't care right. for apartment is messy yeah you you have and i acted as such seen everything (laughs) (laughs) all right welcome back it is episode two of the crown high park corner Mm -hmm. just us kids (laughs) that's right no special guests this time although we're lining up uh several awesome guests for you yeah uh really exciting lineup don't want to spoil anything that's right slash what if they cancel (laughs) right Uh, Uh, we're still (laughs) in negotiation with our people yeah, it's all, it's very, you know, it's just the details. Yeah, just getting, you know, the, sending codicils on their writers and yeah, all this sort of you thing. you know, blue M&Ms. <laughs> uh, so stay tuned for that. But for right now, it's just little old us. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, and I think the one thing I was thinking actually uh, about uh, the last episode that we did is that we didn't really say, but we were thinking, was that uh, we we like this show. Um, and I yeah. sort of feel like we didn't really communicate that. I like it. Yeah, it's it's good. Um you know, we'll we'll see how things I go. Think we but said we liked it better than Mr. Selfridge season four, which is not right. an actual compliment. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's certainly true. I can see where you'd think that it was like kinda. <laughs> right. But it's it, it Yeah. No, I mean it's it's really well produced. Mm-hmm. Um I watched more of it. Right. And I hate to admit it, I'm coming around to Red's point of view on the monarchy. <laughs> because I'm watching it and I'm like, what but what do you do? Mm-hmm. What do you actually do? Right. And I just started rereading the royal we again yesterday. <laughs> Actually, that's not. I'm true. surprised I, it took you this long. There's a. There, I've been very busy. <laughs> uh, there's a bonus chapter, people. What? If you don't know this, so they updated my uh, Nook copy, mm-hmm. and I was irritated because I really liked the original cover, mm-hmm. and they updated it with whatever you know the second edition cover is. And right. I was like now bonus chapter. I was like bonus chapter. Oh, oh ho! <laughs> I have not read that ten times. <laughs> it's a whole chapter from freddie's perspective what uh yeah <laughs> so great yeah listen y'all if you haven't read it whew, ha, it's awesome yeah it's really cool i also like the fact that we both are still on nook it's sort of like it's like being well, you on know what? actually i did i did switch to kindle oh okay because when i briefly worked for audible um, oh yeah anyway i was just gonna say it was just like like we're still using a microsoft zune to listen to music yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and also I had a weird thing because, you know, I got an iPhone instead of an Android mm-hmm. and uh, I upgraded my chess.com subscription. <laughs> oh, I'm at like the platinum level now. Yikes. <laughs> I just wanted unlimited tactics. <laughs> uh, but it wouldn't update. It wouldn't update. It was because my previous subscription was through uh, Google Play. Oh, and yeah. Not through sure. the iTunes app store. So yeah. anyway, there's a whole rigmarole. Yeah. I may have lost money on the deal. <laughs> I may have lost money on the deal. Yeah. It's uh, funny how much control these unaccountable tech giants have control of. <laughs> yeah. And they're all donating money to Republicans. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, so let's talk about colonialism. Let's talk about colonialism, <laughs> which we may all soon be under the rule of before we know it. Read the works of Margaret Atwood. It's probably too late. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hyde Park Corner. I will say this is one of my favorite episodes of the show. Okay. Um, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I liked the first episode fine, mm-hmm. but this episode I just thought was an A plus. Yeah. I thought everything about it was great. Okay. Um, to the point that subsequent episodes I feel a little let down. <laughs> um, but that may just be me. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, I you know, I have only seen these two. Uh, I certainly hope there's more political maneuvering, as I always do. Um, but, you know, we'll... There's a difference between you and me. <laughs> I'm like, who's banging? <laughs> who's doing it? I want to know. Right. Whereas I'm like, who's tra- <laughs> seeking to move up from second to third position in their party leadership? <laughs> that is real boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we open, and Elizabeth is practicing her speech on an airplane, and Bertie from Downton Abbey tells her that they will touch down in 10 minutes. Uh, 10 minutes later, <laughs> presumably, we see some kids and ostriches running along the runway. Uh, they're black kids, mm-hmm. ostriches, I think we're in Africa. Right. <laughs> it also may say <laughs> that they're in Africa. <laughs> right. They also predicted that that's where they were going in yeah. the last episode, but yeah. Anyway, I hope the kids and ostriches aren't killed. I, I'm like, shouldn't they not be there couldn't you just put up a sign that's like do not go on runway well you may die uh you could i don't think i mean as far as that goes okay as far as that goes you might get killed by the ostriches they're not safe i really like this episode but it does have a very troubling relationship to kenya yeah Uh, it is well it's really i found it really interesting in that I can't even tell how problematic it is. Yeah, and we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not spoil things. Okay, sure. Uh, at any rate, a, a brass band is playing as Mountbatten smirks past them. I hate him so much. <laughs> and Elizabeth steps up to a microphone and gives a standard white conqueror speech about how great assimilation is. Yeah. And Claire Foy well, has freckles. It's so cute. Yeah. Well, and she talks about how, you know, before this was the city or whatever. It was, was a just, savage land. Right. Uninhabited. Right. And she's, I, I, she seemed to be sp- speaking specifically about Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And so I looked it up and it was like, well, yeah, they just, nobody had built a city there. And then the British decided here in this uninhabited spot, we're going to build a city. So sure, it's way better than when it was uninhabited. But what, you know, who cares? Yeah. Anyway. I, look, man. Yeah. Uh, I didn't colonize Nairobi. <laughs> Don't blame me. I voted to abolish the monarchy. <laughs> uh, and the microphone squeaks head. as she lies about how well King Lane Price is doing. Uh, although she actually believes right. that he is doing better. Right. She um, inadvertently lies. It is dramatic irony. <laughs> for me, the me for me the audience. Yes. That's the title of my autobiography. <laughs> me, comma, the audience. Uh she she does not know, but King Lane Price, uh, yeah. he has seen the writing on the lung, as it were. <laughs> That's true. Speaking of the writing on the lung. Yeah. So some colonial official is introducing various tribal chiefs and Mountbatten. This, okay. And this is the thing. Yeah. I don't care how empathetic anybody, like, thinks that he is eventually. This is so rude. Yeah. So many Africans fought for the Allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't like the Nazis either. Right. Talk about the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, granted, yeah. this is a time before sensitivity training. Right. Although Elizabeth seems to have her shit together. We haven't even talked about what he did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> so. I hate him. <laughs> He, one of the chiefs is wearing a bunch of medals and he's like, oh, I have that one and that one too. And he's like, oh, where did you steal this one, buddy? And I'm like... And the guy doesn't respond. Right. Whether or not he speaks English, it's pretty clear what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure he speaks white man's condescension. Yeah. Which Although is... Although this isn't even... Con- I mean, this is just straight up rude. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's condescending. It's like, oh, it they gave you medals yeah. to play with. Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. Um, yeah. As if you're, you know, as if your dukedom was earned on the field of battle, buddy. Uh, it wasn't. You're right. Um, your order of the garter. Um, <laughs> I just always think of a garter snake. And like, ooh, fun. <laughs> They're not venomous. <laughs> they sure aren't. Uh, yeah, and he uh, then uh, makes fun of a uh, Maasai chief's hat. Which Elizabeth says, it's not a hat. It's a crown. Right. Which I think... Like, it's obvious, but... Yeah. Well, and that's where I get, like, I'm like, like, it's clear that they agree that Mountbatten is a dick, right? It's like, well, and it's not just that he's doing that. Like, there is the, whoever the local governor is, mm-hmm. as he is insulting this man, is saying, oh, independence is sweeping the continent. So it's really important for us to not piss these people off. Right, right. Um, also, yeah. that guy's hat, which is a hat, <laughs> yes, it's like out of Zubli Zoo. Like, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Boom, Zubli Zoo reference. <laughs> or rather, car, car! <laughs> <laughs> you know the one I mean. <laughs> so yeah, there's a close up of the chief being expressionless and a. It's so odd. Yeah, because. The subtext to me is, oh, this guy is so noble, but also we're still pretty bummed on losing our vice-like grip on most of the globe. Like, England has, like, never gotten over, like, quote-unquote, losing the empire. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. Yeah. Like, they have socialized health care now. (laughs) I mean, they can be so progressive in so many ways, Mm -hmm. but this thing is just such a weird sticking point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, go ahead, you know, feel proud about World War II. Absolutely feel proud about mm-hmm. that. But, like, don't be weird about Africa. And it's right. like, I guess the thing to me is, like, what what tone are they trying to strike here? Mm-hmm. Because... Well, right. So it's like, on the one hand, we're supposed to think that these people are noble and that what Mountbatten is doing is bad. Like, that's clear. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not mm-hmm. supposed to be on his side with right. this. But... Like the the shots are still so like you know like that you know commercial where the Indian cries one tear yeah yeah that's how all of the scenes of uh the Kenyans feel mm-hmm. like it's like okay but like you didn't earn this right I think what it is is that I think it is a reasonable portrayal of how everything seemed to white people. And, and there's no interrogation of the other perspective at all. And it's not even that I want interrogation, but like none of these characters have names. Right. None of them have lines. <laughs> well, I, I was actually thinking, uh, it's, I guess it's appropriate that this is going out on Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Because, and I may well be wrong, but I assume these are the only black characters that speak throughout this series. Uh, I'm on, I think, episode eight, and I don't think I've seen another black character. Right. And we know there were black people in Britain. That's right. <laughs> Definitely we, not in these levels of government. We have done the research. But again, I mean, this again is what's so frustrating. Like, there's one, one academic text about the black Edwardians. Right, right. Uh, there's just not, I want these stories. Yeah. Like, yeah. this show is well made, and I like right. it fine. But I know this story. Right. I mean, I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know all about Princess Margaret. <laughs> but, uh, you know, oh, you know, white people are mostly fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a story that we've told a lot. Yeah. And, uh, oh, go see Hidden Figures if you haven't already. <laughs> um, but, you know, these other stories are really interesting. 
And it's like, you know, I would love to see a TV show set in the same time period featuring, you know, a black middle class family Mm -hmm. in the UK. Yeah. Or, you know, a series set in Kenya. Yeah. With, you know, for example, the father of the still current U.S. president. Yeah. Would have been, you know, I mean, the time frame, this would have been there. Yeah. He would have been a young man or possibly like a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you're a development executive, and we know you're not, (laughs) (laughs) just an idea. Yeah. Uh, We'd also be willing to pitch a show about our lives if necessary. (laughs) Yes, it's called uh, Checkmate. (laughs) It is. No, all right. It's either either Checkmate or it's Check, Mate. Yeah. And it's about a chess prodigy Mm -hmm. and his extremely ambitious wife. Yeah. Uh, We want to cut on the back end. Uh, we want all of the cuts. <laughs> Listen, we're open to uh, trademark, uh, copyright, NXVIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIIII
if you'll recall, Hitler was the leader of the Nazis. <laughs> That's right. And I would like to point out he already defeated Hitler. It is no longer necessary to defeat Hitler. As a lady monster. <laughs> Once you go monster, you never go blonster. <laughs> Look, man, it's been a long day. It's been a long week. <laughs> it has. The news is exhausting. <laughs> I'm going to have to go down to a weekly digest. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a uh, cute dog laps up the water. Ew, gross. The, the water of sexual harassment. See, I didn't read it as sexual harassment. Like, and she I... only got hassled on the way in for being new. No, she got hassled on the way in for being new and for being specially called to Winston oh, Churchill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's this is all based on my reading of their initial encounter. So I guess they could use an HR department. <laughs> uh, we did get a telegram in defense of HR departments. Oh, okay. Uh, so we can share that on our Crown uh, Telegram Roundup. <laughs> That's right. Or whatever cute name I come up for sure. that with. The Crowned Up? <laughs> Sold. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you would like to hear that uh, and also hear some special one-off programming that we are planning, mm-hmm. <gasps> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> That's right. Uh, donate to our pa- Patreon. <laughs> I always want to say Patreon. Patreon. You know, the queen would say Patreon. Yeah. Donate to our Patreon, won't you? <laughs> uh, we have several levels of donation available, mm-hmm. and you will be able to hear really cool new stuff. That's right. And possibly get really cool prizes once we get them designed. That's right. Which we're, we're actively working we're on. We're actively working on it. Yeah. That's actually really happening. It's a, it's a legit ass thing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but if you want to write to us, you can send us a telegram at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com. That's better if you want it shared on the air. Uh, I tend to not keep great track of the Facebook messages. Mm-hmm. I try to respond when I can, but it just, for some reason, yeah. overwhelms me. Yeah. You know, Gmail's just a better interface for yeah. that sort of thing. It's true. Yeah. Take that, Zuckerberg. He doesn't care. <laughs> he might. <laughs> so the cabinet... Stocks plummeted and Facebook plummeted today after popular podcast. Semi-popular. <laughs> So the cabinet are discussing the terrible financial situation as Winston Churchill excuses himself to pee in a very unelegant way. Yeah. And his like, dog is there. It's right. very... And he's reaching into the fly of his pants. Yeah. I, now, I've been there. Well, he does drink all the time. Yeah, that's And he's true. a million years old. He was definitely drinking in the bathtub. He could use some sort of medication for frequent urination. <laughs> that sounds like a Cole Porter song. <laughs> Medication for frequent urination. Medication for you, you see. I don't know. Look. (laughs) Never gets old to be showered in cold. (laughs) That was fantastic. Thank you. Is that a real Cole Porter lyric? I don't believe so. I thought it was real. It could have been. It could have been. He was freaky. Yeah. (laughs) Dude liked to party. He did like it. Oh, I know. He, he did like it. <laughs> uh, okay, so one old mustache insists uh, to Anthony Eden after, you know, they're kind of broken up. Uh, he insists that they have to push out Churchill and that Ant- uh, I decided we're calling Anthony Eden A&E. Okay. So A&E has to go see the one person who can push Churchill out since they can't. Presumably this means the king. Uh, who again, I would th- does, uh, he, does, uh, he doesn't do anything. Right. I was thinking Beyonce. She's pretty powerful. (laughs) (laughs) She'd be like, boy, bye. (laughs) To the left, to the left. Um, So we see a whole bunch of Kenyans lining the road and waving British flags at Elizabeth's car. She looks so happy. Yeah. Like, she's just like, this is cool. This is great. 
and like she's enjoying her work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they pull up to a resort and the staff all greet them and chanting and clapping. It is the Sagana Lodge. And uh, a little boy is there with flowers for her, but is too nervous to actually hand them over. So. I thought maybe it was a statement about colonialism. It might have been. I don't think it was. Okay. But he seemed awfully young to be so woke. <laughs> uh, so yeah, his his caretaker of whatever uh, relationship hands over the flowers to Elizabeth and she accepts them gracefully. At dinner, uh, Mountbatten says there's a herd of breeding elephants at treetops, so they've got to get there early. And there's the staff is there, and they're all dressed up, and they're serving them just like clumsily, like yeah. they're just struggling. Well, this I noticed this in the, the first scene too. Like the brass band was not that good. Well, I mean, they're trying to do the things that right. you know the king and the princess would want, mm-hmm, but you know mm-hmm. it's not their normal way of doing things. Right, right, right. Um, so Mountbatten snarks that he wonders uh, why just because they're royal people assume they like fine dining when really they're savages. And I just, I hate him so much. I know. I feel like all I'm going to say about him for the entirety of this podcast <laughs> is how much I fucking hate him. Yeah, he's he's the worst. And this is, uh, as I since learning last week that this is the same writer of The Queen, um, it's interesting to see the various you know, commonalities, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Mountbatten being a huge dick. Oh, just such an asshole. Yeah. I mean, he's no James Cromwell. But <laughs> right. No, and I mean, it's just, and I don't even know if it's that I, you know, I don't like how Matt Smith looks, mm-hmm. granted. <laughs> but, like, I'm like, how much of this is Matt Smith hate versus hating the kid? Because he's doing a great job yeah. being extremely hateable. Yeah. If yeah. that's what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> At any rate, uh, he, like, pulls some stuff with his hands and tries to, like, tell the shit. And, like, they're not going to listen to you because you're not the one who's going to fire him. Right. Like, that's the weirdest. It's like, okay, so they're doing all of this to please them Mm -hmm. when they don't care. Right. It's very weird. Yeah. No, I mean, they're all embedded in a system that they can't do anything about. (sighs) I wonder what that's like. (laughs) At any rate, uh... Elizabeth thinks this is hilarious, so she clearly loves assholes, which, like, I understand. <laughs> uh, but this is, like, too big of an asshole. No. But it's too late. Yeah. They can't get divorced. No, they uh, certainly can't. Nor does she want to. Right. So, it's just, it's always hard. Core? <laughs> it's always hard when you're watching, like, a historical thing, mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, oh, girl you could do better (laughs) they're gonna be dead soon (laughs) right it's too late yeah at sandringham margaret sees group captain peter townsend and they're in like some hall and or a foyer yeah uh, or an antechamber right some sort of large room that exists to be between other rooms (laughs) and uh she insists that he kiss her and he uh, waits until some random servant has gone away and then does. Uh, but uh-oh, Tommy LaMustache is up on a balcony uh, looking for just such shenanigans. Like, again, so terrible at conducting <laughs> a secret relationship. <laughs> right. Uh, there are many other... No one can see us. I've checked in all two dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's literally Tommy LaMustache's job... Right. ...to make sure that the staff don't canoodle with the royals. <laughs> but we see A&E arriving at Sandringham, and he arranges with group captain Peter Townsend to join the shoot, and they have a whole muck about about his boot size. Is that funny? Well, he says, 
what does he say? Is like it's nine says, this time, and then a ten. He says, uh, I think he says it's an eleven, but it was a ten and a half for writing and a nine during the war. If you can believe that, and I'm like, I don't. Yeah. What I mean, are, was it? Was, uh, it was, was like, it Lord Loxley getting your boots? <laughs> they just put the wrong numbers on the wrong boots. Were you cursed by a gypsy and your feet are always changing size? What is going on? Dude, that'd be actually that'd be awful. I mean, it would, as gypsy curses go, you could live with it. You could live with it. It's no thinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, uh, we see a bunch of British dudes mucking through the bush, and Annie tries to explain to the king while he's shooting how unfit Winston Churchill is for office. And the king coughs very copiously, and Annie says that he should talk to Winston Churchill as a friend, as Albert Windsor. And King Lane Price delivers a great speech that I'm not even going to bother trying to mm-hmm. like do justice here, mm-hmm. about how Albert Windsor was murdered by his abdicating brother. Yeah. So he can't... It, it's just... It's so good. But on the, it's like he's putting Anthony Eden in his place, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, but what is your job, though? Yeah. What do you do? Well... Uh, that's the whole thing about the British Constitution. It's not written down because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, look, America's in no position to act like writing it down is a great idea. <laughs> sure. Okay. Sure. Like, yeah. Uh, at any rate, King Lane Price asks if all of this is in the national interest or in Anthony Eden's interest, mm-hmm. which, okay, like as like a deliver of like sassy commentary, <laughs> he's crushing it. But uh, the king... Insofar as that's his constitutional role. Yes. <laughs> so the king says, uh, he's giving him some advice. The king's annual sassy address to parliament. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the king tells Annie, it's better to be patient and to get what you desire at the right time than to have high office thrust on you when you are not ready. And group captain Peter Townsend smiles at Annie because everybody else has gotten into a truck mm-hmm. and A&E is just their uh, various sized boots flapping <laughs> in the wind. And he says that they're walking back. Sweet burn, everybody. Yeah. And Annie's like, oh, thank God I'm wearing my big feet today. <laughs> better it would be like a uh you know uh one of the like the peaky blinders gypsies I'm oh. thinking that they're the ones who cursed him okay i was actually just mentally thinking about how it was like a sort of like the opposite of like that queen mombi where instead of a whole yeah. bunch of heads he's just got <laughs> a whole just, bunch of feet, feet. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems unnecessary i you agree get the appeal of different heads oh sure like yeah. that would be dope mm-hmm. i would love that <laughs> oh man but i would like never leave i would never be able to leave the house i would never be able to decide on a head back in africa elizabeth mountbatten are in some jeeps that are trying to ford a river and they get stuck so they climb out and uh leave everybody else to deal with it uh they meet their guide who i'm pretty sure is a real person named uh anthony corbett and he is taking them to treetops, which is, in fact, in the tops of some trees. Mm-hmm. It is... Uh, it's uh, a treehouse. Yeah, it's a treehouse that serves as a hotel. It, uh, actually, and it's also not far from where they are. Yeah. So, I mean, we see in a minute why it's necessary to have a guide. Yeah. But I'm like, why? why? This seems, again, yeah. everything that happens to these people is unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, it became pretty famous after this. It burned down a few years later, but was rebuilt and is much bigger and still exists. And more flame retardant? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah, it still exists as a hotel. Uh, a very fancy, pricey hotel. I would imagine. Yeah. It's in some trees. <laughs> right. 
Uh, so Mountbatten gets his rifle out, and the guide says that from then on, they must proceed in total silence. He gives them some hand signals, uh, and they start walking along. Uh, the staff up in the treehouse yell Tembo, which apparently means elephant, and they fly a white flag, which I guess is their elephant symbol. I don't know. I assume that Tembo meant quiet. Oh, maybe it does. I think it does mean quiet. Okay. I Based just... on a later scene. Okay. I didn't... Did I look it up? No. No. I did not. Nor did I. Clearly. Uh, I looked up some other stuff in Swahili later. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so everybody stay tuned. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. <laughs> your elephant butts. <laughs> Speaking of elephant butts. <laughs> uh, CGI elephant busts out of the trees. It is so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not great, but, you know, for television, I don't know. It didn't yeah. It didn't bother me that much. Just seems like if you're making a TV show, maybe don't have an elephant. <laughs> like, that would be my, that would be my solution to the problem. Well, they seemed really, and this is, again, the other parallel to the Queen, where she meets that stag in that, in Scotland. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, hey, look at you, giant animal. And the giant animal's like, hey. They're like, cool. And then, you know, and so this is, sort of seemed like it was just that same thing to me. Yeah. Anyway. The, I feel like, uh, what is his name? The the writer's name? I don't remember. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, we should figure that Something, out. Ben Morgan? Yeah, we need to figure it out and come up with a way to make fun of him. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. But it's, I think he really liked Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why animals are in all of his things. <laughs> Intriguing if true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the guy tells Elizabeth and Mountbatten to get to the ladder into the treehouse, but Mountbatten decides, no, he will fend off the elephant. Jesus Christ. As he has not been trained to do. Ever. And you can see the guy to be like, I hate my, I hate fucking clients. Mm -hmm. The worst thing about the job is the fucking clients. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, he doesn't, you can't get into an argument in the face of an elephant. So he goes off with Elizabeth. Nor would I think you can, can you get in an argument with the prince consort of... The princess. Yeah. Anyway, that's true. So Mountbatten pulls the elephant's attention from Elizabeth and the guy. Yeah, he pull, he goes full Ian Malcolm <laughs> in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and elephants, by the way, uh, can see you when you're still. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I assume. Um, they sense motion. Uh, <laughs> they sense motion with their tusks. <laughs> The character I just created, <laughs> Elephant Tusk Expert. Uh, yeah. And then he's like, hey, elephant, don't kill me. And the elephant's like, uh, all right. It's really weird. <laughs> it is really weird. Like, why did that work? Yeah. I think this is made up. I think so, too. Yeah. I, you know, could be wrong, but I, I agree if with If it you. wasn't made up, then there would be no present-day Prince Philip. He would have been gored to death by an elephant. <laughs> And the world would be a happier place. <sighs> so, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. Oh, yeah, and he says, you're the king to the elephant. And I'm like, what is, is this symbolism? Because it's heavy-handed and stupid and poorly rendered CGI. Right. And like. Like, is it supposed to represent King Lane Price? He seems like a nice guy. I don't know. And like, you're not the king, Mountbatten. And so you never will be. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like. I don't even think it's fair that he never got to be the king, but I just hate that guy so much based on entirely fictional portrayals of him. Yeah. So the elephant's like, uh, all right, peace out. I'm a monarchist. And he goes and kisses Elizabeth and his hat falls off and she says he's an idiot and he agrees. And well, at least we can all agree on one thing. That's right. 
We all come together. Right now. <laughs> over treetops. <laughs> and that brings us to the first of our recurring segments, Fashion Backwards, with our very own conga critic, Kelly. <gasps> That's me. <laughs> so... I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Kenyan culture and okay. a little bit about safari and the history of safari, um, neither of which could I find much about on the internet. All right. Um, honestly, I think I'm just bad at the internet. <laughs> I think I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm bad at the internet, people. I'm not good at it. Uh, so there are 70 different ethnic groups living within uh, Kenya's borders. Mm-hmm. And as such, they don't have one agreed upon style of dress. Um, so modern Kenyans tend to dress in Western clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, on the coast, a lot of them are Muslim. So they dress in a more Arabic fashion. And mm-hmm. then there's like traditional Kenyan clothing, you know, and it's sort of a grab bag. Some people will just wear that for like ceremonial purposes and other people will wear it on the day to day. So, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, are they engaging in, you know, Western commerce? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of Kenyans wear kitenge, which is a tie-dye cotton fabric. Uh, and that's a very common thing throughout Africa. And uh, the Maasai, and so the, the guy with the crown mm-hmm. was, I believe, the Maasai chief. Mm-hmm. Um, they wear dark red clothing to represent their blood and dependence and love of the earth. Uh, so the more you know. <laughs> and a lot of Kenyan women wear a cloth known as a conga, which is uh, wrapped around their torsos and waists. And uh, so they've tried in Kenya uh, several designers to create a national style of dress. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, people are just like, we're fine. We have our tribal customs. We don't need to unify. Yeah. Um, uh, it is a country where modesty is very important. So even if you're going swimming, it is advised that visitors not reveal too much skin. Okay. So if you're going to Kenya, <laughs> FYI. Um, one interesting thing about the conga is that usually its pattern is different sayings on the fabric in Swahili or English. Hmm. So there's a lot of like text-based hmm. uh, style going on, which hmm. I always enjoy. Yeah. Footwear is usually sandals made of natural materials, uh, and oftentimes they will use pieces of motorcycle tires as a sole, okay. um, which I've, I've read about, I think, actually, in like, the Poisonwood Bible. Mm, talk about right, right. That particular type of sandal. Um, and typically in Kenya, very short haircuts, uh, men and women both will shave their heads, uh, and, uh, Maasai warriors will dye their hair red with red ochre. Mm -hmm. Uh, usually that starts at the age of 14. That's when their sort of like coming of age ritual is, Mm. uh, in terms of just sort of the culture and, and the socioeconomic stratification, uh, there are a lot of tribes which are herders. The Maasai are a herding. Uh, yes. The Maasai are a herding tribe. Uh, so me- wealth is measured in the number of cattle that you own. And also having many children is a sign of wealth. And some of the uh, tribes practice polygamy as well. So you can have a lot of wives. You can have a lot of children. Mm-hmm. It wasn't totally clear to me how common that is at this point in history. Okay. Um, but it was my understanding that it's still practiced in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, presumably more westernized areas are going to be more monogamous. Right, right. Uh, but what is interesting, Western clothing doesn't necessarily uh, indicate a higher status. Hmm. You know, if you're wearing designer clothes and it's very expensive, that's going to communicate more. Other people, you know, they just might prefer the style mm-hmm. and are just wearing, you know, old navy. I don't know. <laughs> 
very big in Kenya. Very, very big in Kenya. Uh, a distinctive garment for women of the northern nomadic tribes is a gorfa, which is a sheepskin or a goatskin dyed red or black and wrapped around the body, held in place with a leather cord in a rope belt. Mm. And uh, also sometimes the woman's hairstyle, uh, there's a tribe called the Rendi. Uh, it'll indicate her marital status and whether or not she has children. And then uh, men will have specific headdresses or jewelry that indicate where they are uh, in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then the Pokot and Maasai and Turkana women wear rows of beaded necklaces. Uh, and the Turkana women, uh, I believe, are the ones who wear so many necklaces that elongates the necks. Mm, okay. Um, in terms of food, corn is their staple food. Uh, they grind it into flour and prepare it as a porridge called pasho. Sometimes they mix it with mashed beans, potatoes, and vegetables to make a dish called irio. Uh, another meal is a beef stew called ugali. It's eaten from a big pot and everybody takes a piece of the ugali. Um, what? <laughs> okay. So the beef stew is called ugali. You take a piece of something, presumably the beef, uh, to pick up beans and other vegetables. So like you're using the meat as your utensil. Okay. Um, they also have boiled greens called mboga. They also have banana porridge called matoke. I'm so sorry if anybody here actually speaks Swahili <laughs> because I am butchering this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't eat a lot of meat. There's not a ton of meat. It's very expensive, so it's a rare treat. And herders depend on milk as their primary food. Fish is also popular on the coast and around Lake Victoria, named for Queen Victoria. That's right. Uh, and uh, Mombasa is actually known for its Indian it's Indian foods brought by numerous immigrants from India. So there's a lot more Indian cuisine there. Mm -hmm. Uh, A common drink is tea with milk and sugar. I wonder where they got that from. (laughs) Uh, Palm wine is very popular, especially in Mombasa. And there's a lot of beer. Uh, It's produced locally by the Kenyan breweries. And they have a special type of beer made with honey called uki. Hmm. At special occasions, uh, they'll kill and roast a goat. And uh, other meats, including sheep and cow, are also served at celebrations. And that is called nyama choma, which translates as burnt meat. I like this language. It seems very, like, straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, In terms of religion, the population is 38% Protestant, 28% Roman Catholic, 26% are animists, 7% are Muslim, and 1% follow other religions. So take you know, Scientology, I assume. Uh, there are millions of us. So there is some tension between the Kenyan and Christian churches, particularly uh, with regard to polygamy, as you might imagine. <laughs> you know, it's the same situation as everywhere. The, you know, conquering yeah. uh, Christianity comes in, but, you know, people retain their local customs right, and right. try to incorporate that, um, which to me I think is great. Uh <laughs> So it definitely That's varies. why you're not Pope. It, yeah. Well, I'm not young <laughs> enough either. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, yes. uh, I'm going to be on Borsgore and Swords talking about the young Pope. Oh, okay. And I am very excited. <laughs> so uh, that'll be going up later this week. Okay. So um, the different tribes practice different ways in terms of the more traditional animist traditions. Um, but they all believe in a spirit world inhabited by the souls of ancestors. And uh, the 
Kikuyu. Uh, I think so, it's Kikuyu, but I... Okay, well, the Kikuyu, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, they worship the god Ngai, who is said to live on top of Mount Kenya. So that is handy yeah. to have your deity right there. That's right. And agree. Uh, they have uh, diviners who are believed to have the power to communicate with the spirit world and cure people of diseases or evil priests. So, you know, like priests. Yeah. Um, sorcerers and witches are believed to also have supernatural powers, but they are believed to be evil. So it is the job of the diviners to counter their evilness. And, uh, the beginning of the rainy season is usually observed with a celebration, uh, with singing, dancing and eating, uh, and performers will, uh, dye their hair red and paint and paint black stripes on their bodies. They'll wear ostrich feather headdresses and the Kikiyu mark the start of the planting season with ceremonial dances by warriors. They wear leopard and zebra skin robes. They carry shields and spears. And they dye their bodies blue and paint them in white patterns. So they were the blue man group before school. <laughs> and then uh, the initiation ceremonies that I mentioned, uh, they go through separate rituals. And the age at which they do is the marriageable age. So Kikiyu boys are initiated at 18. Uh, they get their ears pierced, their heads are shaved, and their faces are marked with white earth. And Pokot girls are initiated at 12 years old, disturbing, <laughs> in a ceremony that involves singing, dancing, and decorating their bodies with ochre, red clay, and animal fat. Gross. Um, and uh, weddings are celebrated with up to eight days of celebrations. So mm. that's fun. Yeah. Um. And at death, Kenyans believe that one enters the spirit world uh, and that the spirit world has great influence in the world of the living. And uh, many of them believe in reincarnation and that children are thought to be the embodiment of the souls of a family's ancestors, which is really interesting given the subject matter of this particular episode. Um, hmm. Yeah. It gives an interesting cast to things that happen later. And again, it would have been cool to have that somehow incorporated yeah. um, in any way even a very small way yeah <laughs> um oh that took longer than i thought yeah so i'm gonna skip this history of the safari okay and we can maybe do it uh later okay so sorry that i promised you safari <laughs> uh we'll come back to the it great safari swindle <laughs> of 2017 <laughs> uh so we see a lovely sunset it's beautiful mm -hmm. Up in their treehouse room, Elizabeth says that she plans to ask King Lane Price if, uh, after the Commonwealth tour, they can return to Malta so that Mountbatten can resume his naval career. And he is, like, fine with that. Uh, so she says she'll write to him, and Mountbatten tries to kiss her, and uh, she's like, oh, and he's like, it's just one, and she's like, it's never just one. And we're like, ha, ha, ha. Um, and then a servant says tempo. Because uh, they're being stupid loud. They are being very loud. Uh, and so he shines a light down and they can see hippos and elephants. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And Elizabeth has her camera and she's like, I'm like, but I'm like, it can't, you can't be getting very good resolution. Right. Not with that lighting. Yeah. It's not an iPhone six. <laughs> um, yeah. And by the way, uh, they're on the iPhone seven now. <laughs> Haven't you seen the commercial where that guy goes diving or that other commercial where they take portraits? I've only seen commercials that air during NBA games. So. I don't know. Look, all I ever <laughs> see now are like on Hulu and Roku, and they have a very different idea about the kinds of things that I want. Fair enough. Uh, I will just say the Mountbatten is lucky that previously it was an elephant and not a hippopotamus. Yeah. Yeah. A hippo will fuck you up. Yes. And they will not even care. They, they will eat you. They will eat you. Elephants are herbivores, and their mouths are very small. <laughs> they couldn't even fit half of a Mountbatten in. 
Yeah. There's a reason you don't see, you never saw, uh, you know, hippopotamus trainers in the old P.T. Barnum days. Because <laughs> they're vicious. That's right. Back at Sandringham, King Lane Price uh, explains the shooting procedure for the day, and he gets into a truck coughing, and Margaret is in the driver's seat. Yeah. I'd also like to say that he, he starts out with a dad joke on this one, because <laughs> he says, all who are not, he says, anybody who's not present, sing out. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have dad joke blindness. (laughs) There's a lot of polite, well, you're the king, laughter. (laughs) It's kind of laughter I can get behind. (laughs) You have to laugh because I'm the king. Uh, He has such a sweet scene here. Like, uh, she's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. She is terrific. Yeah. Uh, I cannot remember her name now. (laughs) I used to know it. Yeah. I'm hungry. Um, (laughs) Mainly, I just remember that she played Stella in A Streetcar Named Desire mm-hmm. and therefore can do no wrong. <laughs> because in my heart, I've played Stella <laughs> in A Streetcar Named Desire, even though I never have. And I will never be able to because now I'm too old. <laughs> it would have to be in a production called The Young Stella. <laughs> <laughs> it's Stella, but she's young. <laughs> or I guess I would be the old Stella. Well, right. It's Stella and she's bizarrely old. <laughs> We're not even sure she can have kids anymore. <laughs> it's the streetcar named Desire 2. Stella's old now. <laughs> Stella! When's your birthday? What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, he tries to give her driving instruction, because as you would guess, Lady Mar- uh, Princess Margaret likes to drive like a bat out of hell. And I'm like, this lady is cool, even if she sucks at having a secret relationship. <laughs> anyway, the whole group sets out to go shooting. Yeah. As then we cut to that evening, and Margaret is playing the piano and singing Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered with her dad. And I honestly think this scene is the reason that this is my favorite episode. Yeah. I mean, this it's... was... One of the most beautiful and heartbreaking things that I have ever seen. Yeah. Like, it is just so great. Yeah. I mean, there's not much more to say about it. And it's, it's staged well, so that... Well, because you don't think anybody else is there. And then it turns right. out the whole party is there. And he is... You know, he can't really sing. You know, I yeah. doubt he could sing before he got along. <laughs> yeah. But they just... They love each other so much. And they're having... So, you know, this is, this is top of the pops. Yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he's got tears in his eyes and yeah. he's just, he, the love that he has for his daughter is so clear and yeah. it's just like, oh my God, yeah, I have to stop talking about it no, or I'm going to cry a whole bunch. And the way she points to like the rest of the people uh-huh. that, ah, oh, man, it's just, it's just so good. And That's, everyone applauds yeah. and we're like, okay, the king finally did something that was worth applause. <laughs> he made us feel again. <laughs> the king that made England feel again. That never happened. <laughs> I'm just talking about me, the crass American. <laughs> I'm talking about me, the audience. <laughs> Coming soon to bookstores. <laughs> Published by anyone but Simon and Schuster. Available on the Nook. <laughs> Exclusively. Exclusively. That's right. Now with a bonus chapter from Freddy's perspective. <laughs> uh, look, seriously, it's really good. Read that bonus chapter. Like, I'll read it aloud to you if you want. Somebody, somebody said that on Twitter. like, read us. Read us the royal week, Kelly. And I was like, I could. Have a weekly Skype where we just read it aloud to each other. Oh, and we'll cry at parts. Like gas. Okay. 
All right. I'm going to try not to talk about the royal we anymore on this podcast. <laughs> As a, today. Okay, just today. Just today. All right. Just today. I was going to say, like... Yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I think I'm going to get the audiobook so that I can listen to it in the car. <laughs> Good to know. It's like that movie Super Size Me where he only eats the <laughs> but like I only read and talk about the royal we. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we see King Ling Price smoking a cigarette and watching the news footage about Elizabeth and Mountbatten's arrival in Kenya. A bagpiper plays at dawn, in case you forgot we were in Scotland. <laughs> and King Ling Price's valet hauls himself up the dumbwaiter to bring the king's breakfast and wake him up. <gasps> but King Ling Price is dead! What? Like, I was surprised that he died. I thought we'd have, like, one more episode mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. Again, having no idea when he actually died right yeah see if we were actually british we would have known oh she's in kenya he's gonna die while she's there but we did not know that um yeah and you know sorry to see jared harris go yeah because this is just such a great performance yeah yeah ah he's such a good actor yeah they're such good (laughs) actors they're good actors brent (laughs) 12 out of 10 So, so yeah, so the valet runs out to tell everyone and we see uh, Mary of Tech is told and she's like taking like a heart medication or something. She yeah. gasps and just like sits there and I'm like, is she dead? Right. Well, and it's just like, again, so weird being that rich slash royal. Uh-huh. Like it's just some guy. Like I mean, I know that he's like a trusted servant or whatever, oh, yeah. but just like leaning beside her and saying it in her ear. It's like, you know... It, you know, rather hear it from a, a loved one or whatever, but I guess so it goes. Yeah. So uh, we see the queen mum, who's now truly the queen mum, mm-hmm. uh, sobbing and running to his room. And she's just like gutted. Yeah. Like this was difficult to watch. And then Margaret comes out of her room in her pajamas and just she looks very confused. But then as everybody's running, she like you see it slowly yeah. and it's just really well done. Mm hmm. Uh, and they pull the king's flag down, right. the flag that is flown at whatever residence the king is at, to indicate king is here. Yeah. Uh, king is not there. No more. That's right. He's not nowhere. He's you an, don't know that. He's an Anglican heaven. Sounds dull. <laughs> Cake or death. <laughs> at 10 Downing Street, Tommy LaMustache tells Churchill, and he says to tell A&E, Hyde Park Corner. Do we ever find out what that means? Nope. I guess that assuming that's the code for hey the king uh, you know he's dead. Yeah, I I I assume as much. Um, uh, So he asks if uh, Elizabeth has been informed. La Mustache says that they're trying to. They don't know where she is. They're trying to get to the governor of Kenya, Um, but they, you know, they're they're trying to get to her before it becomes public news. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of her, (laughs) oh her. (laughs) Uh, she wakes up, she's fallen asleep on a deck chair, and she tries to film a bird, but it flies away. Uh, again. Uh, so she settles for filming, uh, Mountbatten's butt. So this is early royal pornography. Uh, but she looks adorable. She's, like, wearing, you know, a button-down shirt, and she's, like, young and beautiful. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I never looked like that. <laughs> oh, Claire Foy. If I could wear you as a skin suit, I would. <laughs> Please don't take that seriously, anyone. Uh, not she's in no danger. Famous podcaster arrested. <laughs> Semi-famous. <laughs> anyway, she snuggles him while he sleeps, and then they leave treetops in jeeps. 
and uh, we see a bunch of dudes back in England arguing about whether or not the BBC can run with the story. Right. Which reminded me of various Mitchell and Webb sketches about the early days of the BBC, which I just <laughs> recommend to everybody. And uh, Winston Churchill finally says, yes, they have to go. Other people are going to break it. You know, it's the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> it has British right in the name. <laughs> Uh, so one of the Jeeps is broken down and Elizabeth is criticizing them because she knows that it is overheated and just, they just need to wait for it to cool down. Um, and she was a mechanic during the wool. That's right. Uh, they try pouring water on it and she's like, no, no, no. And I mean, I'm no mechanic, but like if it's overheated, won't, wouldn't, wouldn't that help? Dude, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how Jeeps work. I don't know how anything works. (laughs) I don't know how this podcast works. Yeah. Uh, so then we get some intercutting of various people around the world announcing on the radio the news and uh, the two of them, Elizabeth and Mountbatten, driving along. Uh, we see Bertie hanging out in some fancy hotel. Uh, somebody named Morris gets a call from Reuters. Uh, he then rushes over and turns on the radio, which relays the news. And I, I was hoping that at this moment, Bertie would act like, uh, Jack Donaghy when he finds out that the Black Avengers are after Tracy yes. and just sprint off. Oh, he kind of does. He kind, he's, he's in a hurry, but yeah. it's he, he, he maintains his dignity. Um, he's British. Jack Donaghy's American. <laughs> no, I mean, clearly. God, we sure could use the Black Avengers. <laughs> Black Avengers, if you exist, help us. You're our only hope. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, sadly... If I recall that episode, a uh, prominent one of them was Bill Cosby. So... Oh, dear. That might have caused a rift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so they all get in a Jeep to rush off. Elizabeth and Mountbatten were... I talked a lot before. <laughs> Elizabeth and Mountbatten arrive back at Sagana uh, to fresh lemonade, which has been made. I'm like, this is a great place. Yeah. I am just a sucker for fresh lemonade. I know. I love it. Yeah. I love lemonade. Yeah. It's my favorite drink. <laughs> and... Uh, Okay, Mountbatten, who I call Philip when I don't hate him. <laughs> uh, he's horsing around with some local boys, pretending to drive their car. Huh, that's, this is cute. Yeah. He's not horrible in this moment. I don't hate him. And then we see Elizabeth writing her letter about Malta to her now dead father. Right. More dramatic irony. Uh, so Bertie runs up. He is directed to Elizabeth, but he hesitates outside her room. Uh, and the woman who pointed him t- to her then points out uh, the Duke, as she calls him, and he is in a hammock, uh, very much in Mountbatten, back to Mountbatten yes. at this point. Although that hammock looks awesome. <laughs> yes, it does. That hammock just like swallows you. Right. Uh, so Elizabeth finishes up the letter, which she has addressed to Papa, and Papa. Leaves, yeah, leaves the room. The staff is listening to the radio and kind of is like, whoa. Well, and they kind of, they kind of, we see them scuffling to like, maybe like turn it off or something. Yeah. So presumably they've been instructed like, hey, uh, you know, don't you tell her. Right. I mean, not even necessarily instructed. It's just, yeah. You know. Uh, so as she's coming outside, Mountbatten tells, no, uh, yeah, Mountbatten tells Birdie that he will tell her. Uh, so she sees them together and then this is just, this is such a British acting moment because it's. Four shots that are each held for a good five seconds, and it's like long shot of Bertie just staring at Elizabeth and then kind of bowing his head and heading out. Shot of Elizabeth looking at Philip. Shot of Philip looking at Elizabeth. Shot of Elizabeth looking back at Philip. This is why these recaps last forever. Man. Because it's like, it takes so much words to yeah. describe what they communicate in a look. Yeah. Yeah. So again, BAFTAs for all. <laughs> That's right. 
a reporter and a journalist rush up and uh martin who i'm calling martin for some reason now sure martin is birdie and birdie is martin <laughs> the staff are all listening to the radio and in the courtyard elizabeth is crying with uh Mountbatten, and the news guys see them and don't immediately photograph them so this is a very old-timey people <laughs> considerate yeah i mean it's that it's also um as it's established that these are the uh royal journalists essentially oh so um, they have some decorum they have some de- well and they know that if they want to continue on Being this the, beat yeah. yeah and it's also because you'll uh, there's i think um maybe it's when she arrives back in london or at some point like she gets off the plane and everybody takes a picture and then immediately stops and bows it's like the photographers like had the special exception they're like you've got two seconds to take a picture mm-hmm. but then you have to bow like everybody else very different from the royal we. <laughs> we all knew that wasn't going to last. <laughs> True. Uh, so Margaret comes in to see her father's body, which is being embalmed in the bedroom he died in. Well, they performed surgery in that random room. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. But I'm like, I, like, you know, if I found out that somebody had died in their sleep in the bed that I was, I'd be like, well, that's weird, but you know, these things happen. And then it was like, also they were embalmed here. I would be like, I need a new room. It can't smell good. No. <laughs> yeah. And so the, uh, the embalmers are trying to be like, uh, this seems like a terrible idea, your highness. Um, and eventually, uh, but you know, she's, she's weeping and, you know, saying goodbye to her father and so uh, a butler escorts her away and uh somebody hands group captain peter townsend a note <gasps> cut to margaret running a horse in a stunning aerial yeah. shot like, like i was like damn yeah i guess it was good that you saved money on that elephant <laughs> yeah uh group captain peter townsend arrives at like a random barn or like a bridge covering or something it's uh it's their makeout barn and <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Margaret says she won't let, quote unquote, them send him away. I don't know who them is. Uh, he says it's all right. And then they make out. And then she collapsed. Like, she's a mess. Yeah. And like, you know, I guess appropriately so. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, to be in the position where, by the way, if your father ever dies, you will also have to immediately break up with your boyfriend. Like. Yeah. But like, she shouldn't even be in that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> They love each other. I know. Look, I'm pro that relationship. I'm just saying, like, you know, they should have made a contingency plan. They knew his health wasn't great. Well, that's true. Elizabeth is packing when Bertie comes in. And asks, Although it's never really that clear to me, like, how close they are at this point. True. I mean, it's like, is yeah. this just like, a, I mean, like, you know, is it a fling? Like, she's like, she's really upset here. So it's like, is it that kind of relationship? Right. Or, yeah, it, uh, agreed. It is. It is. It's, ambiguous. it's unclear what their uh, situation is. Yeah. Uh, so Elizabeth is packing, and Bertie comes in and asks for a word. Uh, uh, for one thing, Miss McDonald did not pack a black dress. Uh, somebody's getting sacked. That's right. Going to be addressed in the king's sassy address. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they'll bring her a plane uh, dress on the plane when she lands, and she'll change there. Uh, and there's also a lot of journalists outside. She asks if she should say anything. Both Mountbatten and Bertie say no. Uh, Bertie says that she uh, would help things if she could choose her regnal name. And uh, Elizabeth is like, uh, what? Or something. And, you know, a little she's, exposition. She's not for- about the regnal name. Yeah, she obviously knows what that is. She's the damn queen, but... All us Yanks watching at home need a little explanation. But about also, that. she's dumb. <laughs> she is fairly dumb. She's pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh, so she just dis- goes to uh, stick with Elizabeth, 
Uh, so Brittany says, then long live Queen Elizabeth. And she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, that's weird. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think she made the right choice. I mean, insofar as previous queens, there were only four names to choose from, I think, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, Mary, Anne, and Victoria. Um, and the first Mary was terrible. Mm-hmm. Second Mary was fine. Uh, <laughs> Anne was also not that great. And Victoria's kind of a dumb name. So. <laughs> it means victorious in the <laughs> eyes of God. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I, I think she made the right choice. Well, I'm sure somewhere <laughs> she just breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> uh, Miss McDonald apologizes to Elizabeth about the dress. She's dressed in, you know, not very morning appropriate khaki. Yeah. And uh, Elizabeth and Mountbatten make their way out to the car, and there's a whole flock of journalists outside as the staff are chanting. An elderly uh, Kenyan man kisses Elizabeth's feet and says, Shauri Mbaya Kabisa, uh, which translates to the very worst has happened. And I believe that is what everybody else is chanting. Okay. Although I'm not positive. Okay. Um, I do not know why I wrote that. <laughs> uh, oh, be- okay. I wrote, this is ripped from the headlines because the very worst has happened. Uh, uh. I.E., all of 2016. <laughs> but actually, I like I like that as a thing to say when there's been a death because yeah, yeah. it literally is the very worst. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, you know, you're not saying I'm sorry. I know how you, you know. Yeah, it's just that. Yeah. Those kinds of sentiments, people say them because they don't know. It's so weird that we don't know what else. Like death has been around just about as long as there have been people. Yeah. We we are not handling it well. <laughs> um, but this is a really nice uh thing to say and again i don't know how these people actually feel mm-hmm. about their king right but they seem to have some appreciation for her you know for her being his daughter and not having control over mm-hmm. anything yeah, yeah um so you know it's a reasonably nice scene mm-hmm. um and the little boys that Mountbatten was pals with are up in a tree and they remove their hats and he nods at them. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts to get a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> because then they're driving off and just like hella tribal people, I guess we're all just waiting in the woods. Yeah. Uh, in case the king died <laughs> to line the streets. I mean, I think, you know, they had heard and I think that I, you know, and I don't want to to overstate what I say more than I actually know. But I think that, you know, monarchy worked well in uh when colonizing tribal societies, monarchy was easy to integrate into their existing, like, traditions and customs. Mm-hmm. Okay, that you makes know. sense. So that's that's sort of okay. what I'm thinking, but... Anyway, it, again, it's not the fact that they're doing it. It's the way that it's filmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we get a close-up that lingers on the face of the Maasai chief, uh, who Mountbatten made fun of his hat earlier. Right. And it's very, like, noble savage. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, why... You yeah, know, why are you telling this to Leslie? Right, and he, me. See, and this is this is the issue in both of his two scenes. The guy has no expression mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, and so it's like if so, it really is just whatever we might feel about him is just a projection. Right, right. So yeah. Anyway, then at the airfield, the plane takes off, and a sad child is there chanting in Swahili and is like crying. Yeah, that I'm like I don't know why he would care that much i agree like like kids are dicks yeah like if say you know reagan had died when i was 10 i or by that time it would have been george hw bush Mm -hmm. but either way i 
wouldn't have cared or been set like i would have been like oh okay yeah i don't know yeah i don't think i cry a lot so i might have yeah i don't know yeah i was a different person back then <laughs> at any rate that brings us to the second of our recurring segments tom repeats history with our kenyan correspondent with our kenyan correspondent tom that's me uh so this is just a little brief outline of British East Africa, which is what Kenya was known as uh, during its colony ship. Um, it's, I'm actually kind of oddly familiar with the broad outline of Kenyan history because of a science fiction book by Mike Resnick called Paradise that is essentially just a retelling of 20th century Kenyan history except transposed to a planet. And with, That's nice work if you can get it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. He did he did one for Kenya, one for uh, Zimbabwe, and one for Uganda. I always confuse him and Harry Turtle Dove. Yeah, they're they're very different. Yeah, both both mediocre prose stylists at best. I have never read either of them. I only know about them from things that you have said. So <laughs> yeah. for some reason, they are well, right know, next to each other in my brain. I only own books by one of those two authors, and it is Mike Resnick. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, but so. For a few hundred years prior to Britain taking over, it had been subject to the Sultan of Zanzibar, who was part of the Sultanate of Oman, of Oman, which basically part of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and although that's really more true just of the coastal strip, um, the interior was just, it was just where people lived. It wasn't a country or owned by anybody particularly. Uh, so in 1885, the Berlin Conference happened, and this was uh, sort of one of the defining things of the 20th century, although it happened in 1885. It basically, a lot of uh, the countries were claiming parts of Africa at the time, uh, but some of them more aggressively than others, some of them were kind of half-hearted about it. Portugal was practically abandoned its colonies at this point. Uh, but technology was picking up, and they were able to, A, get a handle on malaria and some other things and really start being able to, like, control Africa and not just sort of have trading posts and such. So the king of Belgium realized that he didn't have much in the way of colonies, and he was he was a real monster. He was just a horrible person. Yeah, he's the subject of that book that you have, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he decided that he would have a uh, just a non, uh, like, nonpartisan, just sort of like peaceful gathering that they could all get together and work about how to end slavery in Africa. And when they talked about slavery in Africa, they were referring specifically to people like the Sultan of Zanzibar and other uh, Asian people that were conducting occasional slave raids in Eastern Africa. Uh, they all, of course, went on to enslave the Africans in their own colonies on various agricultural projects, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway. I think it's in the neighborhood. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, so basically he got everybody together and was like, oh, as long as we're here, why don't we just, just to clear up confusion, let's just divide up Africa and everybody take a piece. And so that's basically when most of modern Africa's borders were drawn, were at this one conference. And lo and behold, the borders were drawn so that Belgium got a big old chunk in the middle. Uh, but Kenya, uh, Kenya, the part that's Kenya was actually originally German. Uh, they established a protectorate there. And uh, as you'll know, a protectorate is basically the same thing that the mafia does, where it's like you're protected as long as you pay up, and what you're protected from is us. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, 1890 was transferred to Britain, so that's when British East Africa begins. 
Uh, one of the major projects that went on was they built the uh, the Kenya Uganda Railway, uh, aka the Lunatic Express. What? Well, it was built from uh, Mombasa, the seaport of Kenya, to connect to Lake Victoria um, to enable Uganda to you know get their goods out to the world more easily. And it was just nightmarish terrain conditions. Uh, lions ate a bunch of the workers on the railroad, and this is when a lot of uh, Asians and, and specifically Indians, uh, were brought in to work on the railroad. So it's actually very similar. It's, it's pretty similar to the western part of the Transcontinental Railroad, mm-hmm. uh, where we brought in Chinese people because it was unbearably awful working conditions and we didn't want white people doing it. Um, and so just like there's a heavier Chinese presence in this part of the country because of that, there's a heavier part East Indian presence in Eastern Africa. Which explains uh, what I was talking about earlier about the cuisine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So there was various resistances all the time. Uh, One notable one, one of the earlier ones was uh, the Nandi or Nandi uh, tribe. I don't know which. They were led by Koetalel Arap Samoe, and he fought a 10-year-long, very successful guerrilla resistance which was finally ended when he was invited to a uh, treaty negotiation and killed by the British. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like their style. Yeah. Uh, And then they were put in the first reservation in Kenya uh, to keep them from going around making trouble. Uh, In World War I, so they were bordering, uh, well, as they still border Tanzania, which at the time was Germany, East Africa. And so in World War I, uh, Germany fought a very successful guerrilla war against Britain in the area. Britain had way more troops there than the Germans did, but they they were successful all through the war at tying down all those troops to keep them from being shipped to Europe. And uh, actually, it's the only place that uh, any British territory was invaded during World War I. So in 1920, it was changed from being uh, a sort of protectorate or whatever, and it was just called, turned into a colony, except for this strip that was still technically part of the Sultan of Zanzibar, so they called that a protectorate, but it was all governed as one unit, and it was just some sort of weird legal fiction. Uh, the settlers began moving into the highlands, and this was the main uh, home of the Kikuyu. Uh, and uh, did the old thing where they're like, uh, so who owns this land? And they were like, well, we have different systems of land tenureship. And they were like, nobody? Great. It's ours now. So, uh, so, yeah, so it became, and it was very good, like great agricultural land. It was, you know, some of the, like, nicest place to live in, in all of Africa. Uh, the And this is the period memorialized by the book Out of Africa, which is reasonably well-known. She grew up in this time and lived on a farm there and and wrote memoirs about it. Uh, So by the time that we see it here, there were about 80,000 white settlers in Kenya. Um, And they, you know, owned all the land and wouldn't let the Kikyu own any land. Uh, So, you know, the rebellions, the most powerful one kicked off in, I think, 1952, the Mau Mau Uprising. Uh, the etymology of that is unclear, still not really known, um, but it was a super fierce guerrilla movement that erupted uh, a lot of different places in the country, marked by serious atrocities on both sides. It was very savage. Uh, they did – now, this was mostly Kikuyu, but plenty of Kikuyu were not part of it, and so the British started changing their land ownership by letting Kikuyu own land – but specifically really trying to get them to own big tracts of land so that there would be some powerful Kikuyu with a lot of investment in the status quo that they could work with. 
finally, anti-colonialism kicking in everywhere. In 1957, they start having elections, uh, and despite their attempts to keep him out, Jomo Kenyatta uh, kept getting a kept winning all the elections and in 1963 they couldn't hold on any longer so despite their misgivings they gave up declared independence and turned it over to Joma Kenyatta and the main thing that I wanted to to underline about this that's kind of struck me is that we think of like colonial times as being like this long thing and then after World War II it all fell apart but British East Africa started in 1890. It ended in 1963. So when Kenyan independence came, there were still a few old people, but it was in living memory that it had been independent. Mm -hmm. This was not like this well-established thing ever. There were rebellions all the time. And, you know, sure, it was easier for them to put them down at the beginning because they had machine guns. And even Winston Churchill, uh, there's a uh, one of his notes is like, hmm, we seem to have killed hundreds of them without suffering a single uh, casualty. If the House of Commons ever finds out we're really going to be in trouble could we maybe be like less murderous Mm -hmm. in these battles and like that's winston churchill (laughs) um so was he in the bathtub when he said that (laughs) unclear all right well thank you that was very interesting Mm -hmm. uh i think we can all come away from that with the uh general feeling that we shouldn't colonize things (laughs) here here let's stop it Speaking of Winston Churchill, back at 10 Downing, uh, Clementine, <gasps> Clementine, <laughs> she can't sleep. She has heard that A&E wanted to talk shit about Winston Churchill to the king. And uh, Winston Churchill says he's been like a father to A&E and he won't hear anything about it. And Clementine says to ignore her in a way that indicates this is a frequent thing where she hears the scuttlebutt, tells him he disavows the scuttlebutt. Yeah, and moreover, like... In a way that's like, oh, ignore me, meaning like, mm-hmm. oh, you should actually listen. Like, yeah. it's a night, yeah. Anyway, he is, uh, not in a great mood anyway. He's trying to write his eulogy for the king, and he says it has to be perfect, and Clementine says, you know, everybody will want you to fail. And I'm like, maybe you guys' lives would be better if you would just chill the fuck out. <laughs> but, uh, he then loops back around and he is disturbed by A&E's betrayal of him. Yeah. So to your point last week about, yeah, you know, yeah. That whole relationship. Yeah. So I was interested to see that. Elizabeth, also unable to sleep. She's on the plane. Hard to sleep on planes. Although. They have a nice ass plane. They, they got sure a whole do. bed and like a, like a table and chairs and yeah. stuff. I wonder if it's a DC-8. I don't know. I, just, I presume that could be found out. I was just listening to that L. Ron Hubbard Dead Authors podcast again. <laughs> Ooh, I have a long drive. I could listen to that. Yeah. I said it was the biggest bear cave in North Anyway. <laughs> Andy Daly, if you're listening, and we know you're not, we love you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she joins Mountbatten at the table and apologizes, uh, saying that she thought they'd have longer. I thought we'd have longer. <laughs> right. To, you know, hang out and be in the Navy and whatever. Uh, so they're told it's three hours till they get to London, and Elizabeth wonders what will happen when they land. Mountbatten has nothing to say. I wish that this trend would continue. <laughs> The cabinet gathers, but Winston Churchill isn't joining them. He's still asleep. Yeah. Because uh, I guess, you know, he was shook. <laughs> and uh, A&E presides, and everyone goads him into taking Winston Churchill's chair in their marked RP with RW substitution <laughs> accents. Uh, and uh, he updates them on the Queen's progress, and she's over Italy. Yeah. Bertie offers his condolences because he will not be working with Elizabeth and Mountbatten anymore uh, because uh, Tommy LaMustache is his senior and thus goes with the monarch. 
Mountbatten is bombed after Bertie goes out. He says that, you know, Bertie was, he at least had one foot in the real world and he was on our side, whereas, uh, La Mustache is stuck in the land time for God. And I mean, this here, I actually have some, you know, uh, agreement with Philip because yeah. as I read the Royal Week, <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, this is, you know, this is a serious issue for the Royals because if you have somebody who's so bound up in tradition, mm-hmm. your life is going to be even more miserable than it would be. Yeah. Um, when, you know, you, you have to fight for everything that you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, speak of the devil, uh, <laughs> Tommy the mustache has asked group captain Peter Townsend to a study and he assumed that group captain Peter Townsend would be returning to the air force and resuming his duties. Uh, after the king's death. Mm-hmm. But uh, the queen mum has offered to keep group captain Peter Townsend on his comptroller of her household. Mm-hmm. And Tommy the Mustache basically, and I'm not going to, this is too deep. Yeah. Like, we and will, British. We, we will be here all day. Yeah. Uh, but he basically is like, I know you're boning down with Margaret. And uh, there's ugly talk amongst the servants about the relationship, mm-hmm. which maybe there is, but I feel like he's bluffing here. Could be. Um, at any rate, I'm, I well, was on if, his... you know what? If he wants there to be, there will be. Yeah. So I was on his side a bit more this time mm-hmm. than the first time that I watched this. But uh, Group Captain Peter Townsend comes back and is like, uh, yeah, I'm going to take this position anyway. So suck my dick. Oh, wait, never mind. The princess does that. <laughs> uh, Tommy the Mustache, as he's leaving, is like calling behind him like, think it over. <laughs> Take your time. I want you to make the right decision. And group captain Peter Townsend turns around. And he's like, I already have. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. And the love mustache. There was a shot like in general, but in particular, just one shot, the way his face was framed in this scene. Like he looked like William H. Macy had a baby with William H. Macy. Like <laughs> that was very nearly a spit. <laughs> I know. Well, I was already into it and you were, I saw you were drinking. I was like, no, don't. <laughs> William H. Macy went with William H. Macy with David Busters. <laughs> and what came out was Tommy the Mustache. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Queen's plane is descending into London. And uh, there's a whole bunch of well-dressed mourners at the airfield watching giant Winston Churchill waddle out of his car. Yeah, and it's... Primarily, it was like members of the cabinet, I realized. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Because they're all around. Right. Uh, so once the stairs are down, the mustache boards, along with the black dress, and uh, a letter from Mary of Tech. And Bertie classily bids oh, his farewell. He's so great. I hope yeah. we haven't seen the back of him. I hope so as I well. I enjoy that actor whose name I don't know. That's right. <laughs> Please Elizabeth- say that so much. <laughs> I do. Look, uh, I'm hungry. <laughs> Elizabeth opens her letter as Miss McDonald dresses her, and Mary of Tech writes the most stiff, stiff upper lip letter of all time <laughs> and tells her how important it is to separate personal indulgences from duty, and she has seen three monarchies brought down because people couldn't do that. And I wonder which ones they are. I mean, Russia. France. France? I'm not sure about France. I, I, I can never remember when they finally gave up on yeah. that. Uh, maybe the Habsburgs? Austria-Hungary? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, she says that she is not only mourning her father, but also Elizabeth Mountbatten, who has been replaced by Elizabeth Regina. <laughs> <laughs> We're five. Yes. Uh, she says that in every conflict between Elizabeth Mountbatten and Elizabeth Regina... <laughs> 
<laughs> the crown must win, must always win. And uh, Elizabeth comes out. She's dressed and ready to go. And Mountbatten tells La Mustache that he will escort her from there. But La Mustache says, no, sir, if you don't mind, the crown takes precedence. And Mountbatten is pissed. Wouldn't you have known this? Yeah. Like, you know you're not going to become the king. Yeah. So, like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, he's just going to be pissed. Yeah. Uh, at 10 Downing Street, giant Winston Churchill sits down. <laughs> I forgot how he was giant. <laughs> no, I, I know. Um, and A&E and the other mustaches enter some crap club to listen to the eulogy. Um, there are also some people in the cabinet room or whatever that are seem to like some of them are there just recording it. Mm-hmm. And then some of them seem there just to be listening. I don't know. I don't know how they did. It's things. probably the staff. Yeah. So, uh, Winston delivers his eulogy and then says, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see when he's sexually harassing, uh, uh, what's her name? Victoria. The, no. Venetia. Venetia Scott. Yeah. He's the black swan. <laughs> but when he's trying to go to the bathroom, he's the white swan. <laughs> And Mila Kunis is there, and they're all in that fucked up bar. <laughs> uh, so we see Elizabeth's train and some cars chugging across Britain. They pull up to, I think, Sandringham. I think because I think he's still in that bed. The king. Yeah, I don't think they, they never moved him. No, they've they've dressed him up in his more military looking uniform. Um and. This is all through the eulogy. And Elizabeth goes in to see her father's body. Uh, Mountbatten is acting weird um, for, you know, whatever dick reason. <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth finally breaks down. There's some weird, there's some awkward tension in the, with the cabinet. I'm not sure what it is exactly. Maybe it's just that Winston's doing a good job and they wish he wasn't. I don't know. Uh, and then you know, we see Elizabeth's mother and sister uh, curtsy in front of her because the crown takes precedence. New rules of precedence. Mm-hmm. Everyone's mad. <laughs> a car pulls up and Mary Tech gets out. Uh, and she uh, – oh, sorry. And everybody's saying God save the queen. Right. Just everywhere. <laughs> just, just a bunch of men. Just, just run it. Oh, yeah, because that's how Winston ends it with God save the queen. Yeah. And then all the cabinet members stand up. Britain's so weird. Um, and then they have a queen, man. I know they're apparently always going to. Yeah, and A and E is like noticeably slow to stand up. It's like that can't be a good move for you, buddy. Yeah, like, come on. Uh, Elizabeth comes downstairs. A group captain, Peter Townsend, is there, and uh, they greet Mary of Tech, who is of course. I mean, she's all in mourning and in mm-hmm. a veil, and like she's in like full on like. It's practically Victorian, yeah. which does not make any sense in this timeline. Well, um, I mean, she's old, but I don't think she's that old. I don't know. Maybe she is. Anyway. Maybe like toward the tail end of the Victorian age. So she, she slowly kneels before Elizabeth and gets backed up and gets back up. And this, if you just took this scene in isolation, like, and showed it to somebody, they could be like, you could be like, oh, this is a scene from a horror movie. Right? <laughs> like, the soundtrack goes full Shutter Island. Yeah. Like, or like the others. And it's like, it's like she's, and it's, it's almost as if, it, I'm like, is Elizabeth the only one that can see her? Right. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, everybody else is fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, y'all knew this was happening. Yeah. So on that somewhat bizarre note. End of episode. That's right. End of End of show. <laughs> That's our new sign off. 
It's not my promise. I'm just hungry. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat. Don't worry. Right. Uh, well, then I guess it's about time to get you some food. Yeah, I'm going to get some food. Yeah. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so until next time, up, up yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>